This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. We heard you missed us, and now we're back. That's right, it's time right now for the Decibel Geek Podcast as we present Geek Wire. That's right, the latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music. And who better to bring it to you than your boys right here? I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak. Chris, you've got your finger on the pulse of the world of rock and roll. I know you got some cool stories lined up for us. It's great to have you back, my friend. It's good to be back. Thank you for holding down the fort and a great episode with Ray and Iggy from Dawn of the Rising. Really enjoyed listening to that and happy to be back with all you guys. Right on. Heck yeah, man. Had fun with those guys. You know, I was listening back to that in the edit, and it was almost like a nature show about heavy metal. <laughs> a nature show. I especially like the uh, the two women behind you that were having a, a full-on conversation. <laughs> no, no. That was a woman on a phone. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, she really wanted to be a part of it, but <laughs> couldn't. no stopping us. We had to make it happen. But no, that was uh, it was a fun listen, and I uh, love those guys, and glad they had a good time in Nashville, and look forward to new music from them in the in the coming year. Heck yeah, and just an update for everybody, they did not go home with the trophy at the Josie Awards, but shit, man, just to see those guys nominated for something like that is so amazing, because they're one of us, you know, and to see them getting the recognition, it makes me feel good, because... Like I said, they're they're one of our guys. You know, we we played them here on Decibel Geek, and we talk about them here on Decibel Geek, and we're going to talk about a bunch of bands today too that are up and coming rock bands that it's cool to see getting the recognition. And you know what? You know, I'm gonna pull an Eddie Trunk here. We knew Dawn of the Rising way back, <laughs> way before yeah. all this fancy stuff. That's true. So it's it's awesome to see the bands, the music. And all the stuff that we love and hold so dear getting recognized again. I love it, man. makes me feel good. Amen. And uh, we'll keep you guys updated on new stuff from them. Anytime they got new music to play, of course, we'll be here to spin it. But uh, you ready to talk some rock news of the latest happenings? Let's do it. Um, Well, kind of a double story. Um, First off, in the last couple days, it was announced that Mike Portnoy is finally going back to Dream Theater. So congrats to him and those guys. You know how I got this information? How's that? I got it on the street. Literally? Literally. I was in a parking lot today, and a guy I know that works at one of the restaurants that I work at, he comes up and says, hey, have you heard the news? Mike Portnoy is back in Dream Theater, and he was so excited about it. And I was like, wow. you know." And he's like, "You know, he's the real deal. He really loves that band. And you could tell by the way he's talking about it. And I said... He goes, man, that's so amazing. Like, you know, I got to be honest, you know, without Mike and the band, it, it just wasn't something was missing, you know, and it just wasn't the same, you know, and he's excited now that he's back. And I said, well, you know, I mean, shit, you know, it's Mike Portnoy, you know, so think about all the bands. Like as soon as he became available, like everybody wanted Mike Portnoy in their band. Mm-hmm. And so for him being back, that's a big, big deal, especially if you're a big Dream Theater fan. Well, on that note, um, Jeff Scott Soto was asked his opinion on the announcement, and I said, well, first of all, I'm pissed off at Mike because I consider us really good friends, and he did not tell me. I honestly did not know. I felt it would or could happen eventually. I mean, how could it not? That's such an important band in rock history, 
in life that it would make sense for them to at least do one more go round. Oh, yeah. But basically, um, and I saw a, an update from Bumblefoot too. Basically, this uh, means the end of Sons of Apollo, according oh, to those yeah. guys. That's right. He was in Sons of Apollo with them. Yeah, but um, I mean, I don't know that we were expecting a ton more from Sons of Apollo. It, to me, it always felt like a one or two album project anyway. It was a good project. Yeah, because I think even at the time, that's kind of the way it was pitched. Like, this isn't really a band. It's it's a thing, you know? Yeah, it was kind of like a, a murderer's row of players and with Jeff Scott Soto singing, getting together and doing a project. I didn't view it as an organic band so much, but I love some of the music they did. Oh yeah. Um, but like I and like this also, you mentioning you heard it from a guy on the street today. It tells me that you don't follow my Facebook page because I posted it like two days ago. Oh shit. <laughs> but, um, that's okay. My Facebook's weird, man. I only only get stuff from like six days ago. It seems I like I don't. I yeah. I can't explain the algorithm or anything, but um. Somebody in the comments on when I posted about it was like, I guess this means the end of all the other projects because he likes winery dogs and some other stuff. Yeah. But honestly, all the guys in Dream Theater have side projects. So winery dogs and some of these other things that Mike does, it's not going to end. I'm sure he's still going to do them. It's not like Dream Theater is going to be now the, for the next two years, probably. I'm sure they're going to capitalize on the hype from this. Yeah. And you're going to have, it's going to be straight Dream Theater for two years. But after that, after the, the sheen is worn off from this, I'm sure all those guys are going to continue to do their side projects. Right. And then maybe you get that Sons of Apollo reunion. Maybe. You know, I would have liked to have seen them live. It is kind of weird that you don't tell them, though. Yeah. You think that is a little strange. Phone call away. You're like, hey, man, you know, we got this thing going on, but I want to let you know. I'm going back to Dream Theater. And Jeff Scott Soto, I'm sure, would have been like, yeah, totally, dig it, you know? Well, the thing that this does end that I actually, well, not that I so much wanted it to happen, but I could have seen it happening. My opinion was, because like, there's been little flirtations from Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson over the last year that they might want to get back out and play again. Yeah. I could have seen Mike Portnoy being the drummer for that. Yeah, that's that. if you're going to do it, I mean, that would probably be your guy. Not that he could ever replace Neil, but, right. it, but who could? Yeah, but but he would have been a, a fitting choice if they wanted to go out and play Rush songs. Yeah, if not Mike Portnoy, then who? There's a couple others, but actually Mike Mangini, who replaced him in Dream Theater, incredible drummer. Oh yeah, so I'm sure he's gonna go on to other projects. But you know, it's I'm not a giant Dream Theater fan. I know you're not either, but. It's good news for them, and I know he's been wanting to get back in that band for a while. No, and it's cool to see somebody like today that's genuinely excited about Dream Theater, you know. Even though I don't get too excited about them, it's cool for me to see somebody else. You know, that warms my heart a little bit because he's a younger dude, but he loves Dream Theater. I say that's awesome. They are a Musos band, like musician. They're a, a, a oh, musician's yeah. band, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um. Some sad news that just got announced right before we went on on air or on air or recording, whatever you want to call it today. Um, Steve Riley passed away today. Yeah, I saw that, man. That sucks. Yeah, I'm 67 years old, and um, it doesn't say where he passed. It's weird. I had heard a few weeks ago that he had just moved here. Oh, really? Yeah, somebody I know, um, well, Bay Ragney, I think, was who told me that he heard that Steve had recently relocated in Nashville. I don't know if that's true or not, but... Apparently was fighting pneumonia for the last few weeks, and then it just took him out. Man. 
That's a bummer because, I mean, that's a dude right there, you know. Think about, like, the stuff he did with Wasp. Those albums were amazing. I remember I remember looking at the back of The Last Command, you know, and thinking mm-hmm. Steve Riley looked like he was 65 then. He, well, he, you know, Metal Sludge always dubbed him the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to joke about the guy but he 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 looked old even in the in the 80s right yeah and then you know to go and i was reading some cool stuff about him too and this is pretty cool perspective from somebody that's got a really unique way of seeing it was that like he was in wasp and wasp was a part of the first wave of that la sunset strip thing you know wasp quiet riot rat motley crew bands like that you know and he was a part of that and by the time Blackie got around to firing everybody, then he was out and ended up right in L.A. Guns and then was on was in a band that was on the cusp of that second wave, which was like Guns N' Roses, L.A. Guns, Faster Pussycat, bands like that. Mm-hmm. So, like, for him, he said he'd never seen it because he'd be out with Wasp, they'd be on the road all the time, he'd be back in L.A. for maybe a couple of days, maybe a week, and then back out on the road right away or into the studio. And so he'd never seen the way it was starting to, you know, what those bands had started was kicking off the younger guys underneath them for that second wave until he came back and Wasp was over for him that he got into L.A. Guns because they were all huge fans of Wasp. And like, oh, man, how cool would it be to have Steve Riley in the band? And so there he is in L.A. Guns for all those years and played on amazing albums with them, too. You know, Steve Riley was the guy that, you know, when you needed somebody because he didn't play on the first Wasp album. But, man, he when you think about like classic era Wasp, it's with him in the band. And then when you think about like classic era L.A. Guns, it's also with Steve Riley. And Rick Fox had posted something because Rick was friends with Steve Riley. You can always count on Rick Fox for an amazing story. So he posted on Facebook earlier, was talking about Steve Riley and about how when Blackie Lawless in the early days was looking for a bass player, not knowing that Rick had previously been in Wasp, Steve Riley recommends Rick Fox to Blackie Lawless. <laughs> to which Blackie Lawless loses his mind, you know, for bringing that name up and having yep. no idea that Rick had just left Wasp and they would end up with Johnny Rod. But in the meantime, Steve Riley's like, how about this guy, Rick Fox? He's like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> Oh, that made me laugh so hard when I read that, you know, and man, that sucks, man. Steve Riley, you got to give it up to that guy. If nothing else, for all the amazing albums he's played on. I always love the guy's personality. And like, you know, remember like in the late 90s was an awesome time if you had VH1 and VH1 Classic, because like they would do all these list shows and they'd get all these rock guys to, you know, share their stories. Yeah. And he was always one of the best contributors to those shows because he didn't give a fuck what people thought about him. So he would just be wide open and honest whenever he gave an opinion on something. So I always respect it. He's another one that now it sucks because another one we should have interviewed while we had the time because he seemed like he was definitely wide open as far as the way he would let opinions fly. Yeah, that's another lesson learned. Don't let it pass you by. 
There's a guy that probably would have made an excellent episode of Decibel Geek with us, and now we'll never have the chance. And actually, the newest Riley's L.A. Guns material is really good. Yeah, I like the album Renegades. I thought it was pretty great, and the latest one they came out with is really great, too. But that's I guess that ends here and now, too, because yeah. they, the rest of them guys sure can't carry on as Riley's L.A. Guns. Uh, and Phil Lewis put out a statement and uh, said, very shocked to hear about Steve Riley's passing today. He was a good guy, an excellent drummer. We toured the world together many times and countless adventures, both good and bad. Unfortunately, we were never truly friends in 30 years. I never once visited his house, and apart from band stuff, we never hung out and went to dinner together. I think he valued his privacy and kept work and family very much separate. My condolences to his wife of over 40 years, Mary Lewis, and son Cole. But, um, and of course, you know, Blabbermouth takes the headline of, very shocked to hear about his passing. We were never truly friends, and that's not the point he was trying to get across. Right, yeah. Yeah, that is pretty misleading. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, they sued each other, so there's probably, there wasn't a great friendship there, obviously, to start with. But um, at the same time, did a lot of great things together, and like... L.A. Guns, when Ballad, and I know Ballad of Jane is certainly not your favorite L.A. Guns song, not neither nor mine, but when that song started racing up the charts, I thought they were going to break through, but that yeah. kind of was the pinnacle for them. They got a lot of fans that stick with them to this very day. Steve Riley, definitely revered and will certainly be missed. Yeah, for sure. Um, Rolling Stones, Hackney Diamond's new album has topped the U.K. album chart, and... Uh, outperformed all of their albums in the top five in terms of sales. And in its first week, Hackney Diamonds sold an impressive, according to this article, 72,200 units, making it the third highest selling album of 2023. Wow. So the third highest selling album of this year sold 72,000 copies. That kind of shocked me when I read it. Like if you were a band in 1984 that a record company had put a lot behind and your album comes out, and they put all the push behind you, and you sell 72,000 albums, you're probably going to get dropped. Yeah. Like, you're a failure. But here we are in 2023, when selling that many albums gives you the distinction of being number three on top album sales of the year. That's amazing. Amazingly shitty, but amazing nonetheless. And I hate that I'm keying in on that, but just because like that was just an also ran part of the article. But I'm like, damn, 72,000 is third for the year. Man. Where are we at? We're in a world where people don't pay for their music anymore. That's really sad. My vinyl's on the way. I did order one. Did you? Yes. Because actually, I'll tell you. I've been hearing good things about it. It's a great fucking record. And I'm not a diehard Stones fan. I like a lot of stuff, obviously, but like I don't collect everything. And I, I bet the last Stones album I actually paid for was probably Bridges to Babylon. Yeah. So it's been a long time, and um, I gave it the I gave it the customary sample online, and damn, it's really really good. Um, hmm. There's really not a bad song on this thing. It's it's super solid. Have you heard the record yet? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Once I saw like it was had Lady Gaga and stuff on it, and Elton John, I thought, yeah, this is probably going to be pretty lame. But let me tell you something. 
the Elton John song, he just plays piano, and it's a straight-ahead, blues-based rock and roll song. Okay. All right. I'm okay with that. That's one of the... There's two tracks that Charlie Watts plays on, and Charlie's on that song. Yeah, that's awesome. And Lady Gaga, it's a song called, I think, Sweet Sounds of Heaven, I think is what it's called. It's a rap ballad, but it's really good. And she doesn't she doesn't go crazy on it. She's just there in a supporting role, and it's a good song. But like, there's, there's a song called, uh, I think it's called whole wide world that's the best song on the record for me lc from cobras and fire agrees with me um angry was the single they released did you see the video for angry no you need to watch the video for this it, it's it's got a hot chick and a convertible going down sunset boulevard oh yeah you did tell us about this and that's cool but it's like there's all kinds of cool animation on the, the billboards because remember all the old la rock album billboards yeah so that that's part of it too, but like that's a cool song. Mick is definitely getting some recording help. There's some auto tune definitely going on here, but at this point they're eighty. I right, mean, you have to yeah. cut cut the guy a little slack. No, and it's and it's just plain cool that all these years you're still getting Rolling Stones albums. There's a song on here that even harkens back to like them doing the disco stuff, like Miss Miss You and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, it's called uh, Mess It Up, and that I think that's the other song Charlie plays on. But it's really good because when the Stones did disco, they did it well. Right. So, yeah. so it's uh, and there's a lot of just signature Keith Richards licks on here, but they're fresh. They're not recycled. So wow. If you like the Stones, this album is completely worth your time. I was very, very pleasantly surprised by how good this record is. You think it's good enough to make one of our top tens at the end of the year? I'm. 90% sure it's going to make mine. Wow. Okay. It's, All right. It's that good. And, to... Oh, and, and McCartney and McCartney and Ringo were on this album too. Oh, so Ringo is on it. I think Ringo's on it. Well, it doesn't list him on this article, but either way, the, it's a song called, um, bite my head off. And McCartney plays this like feedback, buzzy bass line on it. That's fucking great. And, it's uh you know the New York Dolls obviously especially with David Johansson they pattern themselves after the Stones. Oh yeah. Bite my head off sounds like a New York Dolls song. All right, I'm going to have to get this now. I think you'll like this. This album it, I was very surprised by how solid every song it, like they picked the best songs they could for this. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm in on it now. I wasn't going to cuz I I don't know I like the Stones but like the old stones like from the 70s i like that stuff it's got a lot of a lot of uh callbacks to like 70s era maybe like mick taylor era stone yeah. sounding stuff and uh bill wyman plays on it too right yeah so yeah i i think you'll like it and um i would suggest everybody at the very least check it out and, and give it a listen because it i was i was not expecting much but i was very surprised by how how much I, i've played it several times wow well, there you go. Nice glowing review of the new album from the Rolling Stones right there. And in the same, and this is one thing, 2023, maybe not so bad because we got new Stones music and next month we're getting new Beatles music. For the last time, right? Yeah, the very last Beatles single with all four original members is coming out. It's a song called Now and Then. comes out next month on November 2nd. So how does this all work? It's um, It's based off a demo that... Um, John Lennon was working on. I don't have to look through the article to find out when he was working on the demo, but it's got his original vocal on it. And everybody went crazy about the mention of AI, but like McCartney and Ringo both kind of cleared it up where 
the AI is not an AI generated vocal. The vocal's real. They used AI technology to separate that vocal from the original demo. And then the rest of the guys got in and, and recorded there obviously. And I guess maybe George was on the demo. So it must've been a Beatles era demo. Cause George is on it too. I would yeah. think. And Paul and Ringo finished out the track and, and they're going to put it out next, next month. Wow. And there's going to be like a little mini documentary and you know, the Beatles are not going to do anything half-assed with this. No, uh-uh. So I'm really excited for next month because this should be really cool. And even if it's, even if it's a so-so song, you're getting a song with the original Beatles on it. Right. I mean, I, I think that's amazing. That is pretty amazing. I'm looking forward to hearing that. And produced by Jeff Lynn from ELO. So it's going to sound good. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a, Okay, it was a late 70s demo that John recorded at the Dakota, where I was just at a couple weeks ago. And he gave the recording to Paul, George, and Ringo, along with John's demo, or Yoko gave the recording of to Paul, George, and Ringo, along with John's demos for Free as a Bird and Real Love, which came out on the anthology in the 90s. Yep. So this is the third track that they hadn't used yet. Wow. That's going to be awesome. Who would have thought? Yeah. So we've talked about the Stones, we've talked about the Beatles, so it makes sense that we would talk about Godsmack now. <laughs> well, obviously. So I'm just going to read the headline. Godsmack is talking about covering Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd on their upcoming stripped-down U.S. tour. And to that I say, whatever takes us away from your music is good with me. Why do you hate Godsmack so bad? I don't hate them. I like the first record actually a lot. I mean, I think they're pretty consistent over the years. They've come out with some good stuff over the years. Even the last song, I just heard they were playing something new on the radio because mm-hmm. I'll listen to that free beer and hot wings sometimes on the way in to work. And then the radio's on, and then I jump back in the car in the afternoon, and whatever's on is on. And they were playing a new Disturbed song, and I thought it was pretty good. They did... Um, or New God Smack, I think. Or maybe... I don't see, know. Maybe it w- see, they do sound the same. You just confused them. <laughs> I totally did. Son I of a I can't wait to hear Toomey's reaction to this episode, because I think he hates both these bands. Really? Yeah. You would think those would be Toomey's bands right there. Like, he would love that stuff. I don't think he likes either of them. Hmm. Uh, I like God Smack, and I like Disturbed. I like some of each. Um, I will say Godsmack, they did a song. I want to say the song was called Bulletproof, like a couple years ago. Do you remember that song? Yeah. I thought that was a cool song. It was a little different from them. And um, But no, the first album that had like uh, Moon Baby and uh, yeah. was, I'm doing the best I ever did. I'll go, oh, of course, it was one of the 50 songs they have there where he says, go away. Right. Um, yeah. That was a big, big thing when that album came out. That song was called Whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like some of that stuff. But like then the, with the whole I Stand Alone and, you know, I don't it's, it. They started to sound very samey on all their records. Work for ACDC. Oh, you're going to compare Godsmack to ACDC? Only the concept of this is what we're known for. This is what the fans love about us. Why change it? You're right. And honestly. Why, why stray too far from what we know the people that appreciate us are expecting from us. Well, and people don't want to hear this, especially that listen to our show, but the truth is Godsmack and Disturbed, they're kind of part of like the bigger bands from that era. 
they're the ones that are going to continue to play big arenas and possibly stadiums as they get older. 100%. Just like any of the bands we love, they came out at a certain time. If that was in your timeline, you know, when you were coming up, and that was the big thing, that when you were getting into rock, then there was nothing wrong with Godsmack and Disturbed. And so they have had this following that has stuck with them all these years. They've put out a shit ton of albums over the years and continue to this day, you know, and are just as popular as they ever were because people loved them and they stuck with them. You got to respect that. And I still respect them for writing a song called Crying Like a Bitch about Nikki Six. I still think that's <laughs> funny as hell. Funny as shit. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I love that they admitted to that. Godsmack diss track. Yeah. Um, Joey Belladonna in the news. He's going to sing the national anthem at a future Kansas City Chiefs game. Yay, go Chiefs. That's cool. And says, uh, maybe Taylor Swift will be there. Did you know know Taylor Swift is uh, dating one of the Chiefs players? I've heard. I've heard. A couple people have talked about it recently. Yeah, like you watch any Chiefs game and it's like every two minutes they're zooming up on Taylor Swift. There she is. She's still here, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm doing this purely for Toomey and Baco's benefit, but I'm going to address the elephant in the room. Because <laughs> they didn't do slobber knockers this year, which I was hoping to co-host with them just so I could annoy them as my chief fan self. Yeah. Um, and it would have been so much fun with the whole Taylor Swift thing added on. Oh, yeah. You could have went on there and acted like you were a huge Taylor Swift fan now that she's dating Travis Kelsey. <laughs> who says? Who said I wasn't already a Taylor Swift fan? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um no, honestly, the I get the media wants to have fun with this because obviously there's a huge ratings boost every time they show her on TV. Crazy, you, you know, like there's been like the Chiefs played the Bears and the Chiefs were up thirty points, and they still pulled record numbers of ratings because she was in the box. So, like people that don't give a damn about football are watching the game for Just to glimpses see of Taylor Swift. Yeah, so like the I get why I understand why the media is obsessed with this because she's, she is the biggest pop star on the planet. I don't think anyone would argue that. No, it's true. And the chiefs are a big deal right now. And Kelsey is popular even outside of the chiefs because his podcast has taken off. He's become kind of a celebrity in his own right. But at the same time, I'm as a chiefs fan, let me just say, we're all as tired of this as the rest of you are. Uh huh. I don't know any other Chiefs fan that is really thrilled about this either. To me, I think a happy medium would be go ahead, show a picture of her in the luxury suite, sit next to Travis's mom, do that at the beginning of the game. Hey, look who's in the house today. Taylor Swift's here. Yay. Fine. Do that. But then leave it alone. We don't need for you to pan back up to her every time the Chiefs do anything. Well, it's just, I think it's annoying. I think all the Chiefs fans are saying that, but deep down in their hearts, they fucking love it. Do we love it? And Joey Belladonna is going to be there, and he's going to be singing the national anthem, and Taylor Swift's going to be up in the box, and she's going to say, "Who is this man singing this? His voice is wonderful. I want to do a duet with this man." That's what Joey Belladonna is thinking. I'd rather them show nine shots of Joey Belladonna than Taylor Swift. Because <laughs> that's the guy that sang Indians. Yeah, that you know? would be pretty cool. Yeah, but he's a, Joey's a big Chiefs fan, so all credit to him. Right on. <laughs> that's cool he's getting to do that, though. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, and they're playing the Broncos, so it's pretty much a guaranteed win. Now watch me regret saying that. Yeah, I'll, I'll make you regret saying that. 
13 wins in a row, though. <sighs> Broncos looked pretty good last week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, you brought it up, not me. <laughs> You're the one that said it. Well, the, the Chiefs have won 13 times in a row right. against them. There yeah. was like th- there's been three presidents since the Broncos beat us. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, we're halfway through my stories. You want to do your segment now? Yeah, let's uh, segue out of football and do the Camaro segment, and we'll start with some album anniversaries. So these are all going to fall within the time period between now and the next Geek Wire that we do. So just keep in mind, all these anniversaries are coming up right around these times. So first off, let's look at some 20-year anniversaries because I looked at 5- and 10-year anniversaries. There ain't nothing worth even talking about. Nothing worth even mentioning. So let's go right back to 20 years ago, talking about 2003. You got the 20-year anniversary of the Pearl Jam album Lost Dogs which was 30 unreleased tracks at that point. And some of those songs, like, I listen to that and I go, how do some of these songs not make it onto some of these albums? Like, there's way worse songs on the albums, and there's some really good tracks on Lost Dogs. For a compilation album, not bad in 2003, it goes up to number 15 on the charts. The song on there I always liked, Red, Black, and Yellow. You ever listen to that one? I've never heard this record, so if you're saying it's good, I'll give it a shot. You ought to check it out. There's some really cool stuff on there that I think that you'll probably agree and say, that should have been on the album. They could have left that off. It's a bunch of sleaze rock songs. Yeah, totally. Straight from the gutters of the Sunset Strip Pearl Jam. You're going to love it. Speaking of some sleazy rock and roll, how about Bon Jovi back in 2003? This is a weird. I mean, I might need you to explain this one to me. This Left Feels Right. Oh, God. That album is garbage. So what is this? It's like them redoing their classic songs, like a greatest hits, but redone in 2003? Yeah. First off, it's acoustic. Oh, okay. And second of all, they they re, like redo the melodies and the structure of the songs. It is terrible. Yeah. Well, it still made it to 14. Oh, sure, sure. The housewives want to listen to music, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, it's not worth your time. No, I will take your word on that. Uh, also celebrating a 20-year anniversary, the self-titled album from Kid Rock. Probably, maybe, the last great Kid Rock album back in 2003. That's the one that had Jackson, Mississippi on it, which is, mm, that's a killer track. Like, when people say Kid Rock sucks, I go, Listen to that song one time. Was that a single? Yeah, that was a single. It's it's heavy. It's dark. It's it's badass. And this was really Kid Rock's last really good album because like there's not. I mean, there's always going to be some misses on every Kid Rock album because he does such different things and each album's so diverse. But this one is mostly made up of hard rock and almost metal songs. I don't think I've ever listened to this one. That one I would recommend, especially that song, Jackson, Mississippi. It's mm. freaking killer. That's easily, I think, my favorite Kid Rock song. That one goes to number eight and also celebrating a 20-year anniversary. Now, oh, what the hell? It was nominated for a Grammy. Come Poop With Me by Triumph, the insult comedy dog. Do you remember Triumph? I'm a giant fan of Triumph. 
That's what I thought, too. I saw that, and I was like, eh, it's not hard rock or metal, but 20 years ago, that was pretty awesome. Oh, dude, have you seen the the Triumph skit where he goes to the Bon Jovi concert in New Jersey? No. I mean, maybe. It's been a long time. I asked my wife if she remembered Triumph. She said no, and so I told her I was going to show her some videos, so I'll be checking out some old Triumph. My favorite part of that one is he's interviewing the band, and I guess bon, John Bon Jovi did. Uh, I can't really remember the name of the movie, but he did a movie where he plays a vampire at that time. Huh. Okay. And Triumph goes, "You're in a new movie, huh? Where you 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 play a va- vampire, right?" And John's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's right." He goes, "Finally, a role that requires you to suck." <laughs> Oh, man. Triumph's a legend. Yeah, I don't think Triumph would thrive in today's environment. Uh, probably not, but uh, many, many great memories of watching him on Conan O'Brien's show. Yeah, that was awesome. I thought, <laughs> yeah, it's not metal, but Triumph kind of rocks, so I'll give, I'll give him a mention. So then let's jump back 25 years, anniversary of the Motley Crue Greatest Hits album. At the time, it was... It was kind of a big deal because this was the follow-up to Generation Swine, which a lot of Motley Crue fans were disappointed by because it didn't sound anything like the classic crew. They made us feel like Vince Neil's coming back, Motley Crue's coming back, it's going to be Dr. Feelgood Part 2, and then it wasn't nothing like that. But by 1998... Motley Crue's starting to come back around and go, yeah, okay, you know, maybe we should just give the fans what they want instead of trying to force ourselves upon them. They come back with this greatest hits. It's got all their classic stuff on it. Plus, it's got two new songs, Bitter Pill and Enslaved, which were both pretty damn awesome. I was working on radio at the time when it came out. I played the shit out of Bitter Pill because it was great that Motley Crue was back. And it wasn't weird, like, generation swine it was more straight up rock yeah i like both those songs and it was like the poison was the same way it was like that we got to we had to get to the late 90s for everybody like okay is the, is the grunge thing over now we can rock again now yeah motley Crue's greatest hits goes to number 20 in the u.s from there we'll jump back to 1993 for 30 year anniversaries of the lemonheads come on and feel that was like their big album, their kind of their breakthrough, their highest charting album. It goes number 56, but it was actually their sixth studio album. So that band was underground for a long time. You fan of them at all? I like a few things. Obviously, their Mrs. Robinson cover is their most well-known thing. I like that. Um, I like their Plaster Caster cover. Yeah. I like a few things. Of I need to, That's another band I kind of need to dive back into. But yeah, I do like Evan Dando is a, a really good songwriter. I'll give the guy that. Yeah, and a good guitar player, too. I think it's a little underrated. You know, we're into Motley Crue and Rat and Poison and stuff like that, you know. And so they go Lemonheads. That's kind of weird grunge, right? But they actually had some really cool stuff. This album's cool. It's got, uh, it's got Rick James on it. There's a song on there called Rick James Style, and it's funky and it's cool, and I like it. They snorted coke through the whole process. I'm sure. Because you know, that's Rick James style. Yeah, in 1993, no slowing down for that guy. And he was on the Lemonheads album. Check that one out. I just mentioned this one because I love the, the title of the album. George Clinton came out with an album 30 years ago. You know, the, the man from the Parliament Funkadelic. The album's called Hey Man, Smell My Finger. 
<laughs> that sounds like a George Clinton album. Sounds about right. It's got Bootsy Collins and Flea on it. So wow. if you love the bass, that's that's a good album for you right there. So let's jump back. Ooh, it starts getting interesting. 35 years ago to 1988, celebrating 35-year anniversaries, the debut album from Soundgarden, Ultra Mega OK. It was nominated for a metal Best Metal Performance Grammy, but they didn't win it. I didn't know about this one. I didn't know about Soundgarden until Bad Motor Finger. I knew about them with Louder Than Love, but only because I saw a video from it on Headbangers Ball. But I didn't think think twice about them, and obviously the next album was the, the breakthrough for them. Yeah, so got to go back and revisit this one after I become a fan of Soundgarden and then go back and rediscover their earlier stuff. I don't know if it's all ultra mega, but it's okay. Yeah, I would say I'd say that's accurate. Uh, also celebrating a 35 year anniversary. This is cool when you say you know the debut of Soundgarden, but also an album by Rat, Reach for the Sky, also known as the Wicker Chair album. Yeah, it's weird. I like man. that one. I do too. It's got a bunch of great songs on it, but man, what a weird album cover. Yeah, the album cover is terrible. I'd love to know the story about that. Like, I'm guessing it's like, oh, the record label picked it for us. Because I can't imagine these rock guys going, you know, this needs like a, a statue with no arms and some weird glasses. And what else? What else? Oh, where, yeah, yeah. A white wicker chair. Put that right in the middle. Oh, that's that's rock, man. Well, that was the one that they started recording with Mike Stone as the producer. And then it was such a disaster that they had to call Bo Hill back up and say, please come back. And you know what? The sound on that album, as far as the production and the sound quality of it all, is excellent. He's the right guy. I know they don't like that guy as much. Um, cause Bo, and honestly, Bo Hill always seemed pretty egotistical to me, but he knows how they're supposed to sound. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And he nailed it for him once again in 1988. It's just another platinum album for Rat. Goes up to number 17 on the charts. They're going to see a little decline in the upcoming years, but, I mean, they're still one of the biggest bands in the world at this point. And if you like Rat, listen to the Rat discussion we did with soccer great Alexi Lawless. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you didn't think this was a sports show until we started talking football. No, way back in the archives, we got one of the most legendary figures in all of soccer, to come on the show with us and talk about Rat. Just because he was already a listener. It was the weirdest thing ever on Twitter. He goes, love your show. Would love to talk Rat with you. I'm like, well, come the fuck on the show then. Yeah. And then I hung out with him at NAM. It was wild. Pretty cool, man. It was still one of my favorite episodes because it was so far outside the box, but still right inside of our wheelhouse at the same time. And that dude knew his rat. He yeah, knew he like did. the whole history, and he educated us on stuff. Yeah, he did. He was cool, man. I hope he's doing well. Alexi, if you're out there, yeah, thank you, man. Hope you're doing good. All right, here's another one celebrating a 35-year anniversary. Oh, man, this one, mm, well, it's Kiss. Smashes, thrashes, and hits. I have fond memories of this record. I mean, at the time, it was cool. But, man, looking back on it, I just I don't have the same feelings for it at the time. I just saw the other day we were going through some stuff. I found the Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits picture disc. It's the same picture disc that I bought when that album was new. Speaking of, it's funny we mentioned old guests. Um, 
that was one of my favorite stories to relay that I had heard a, a, a guest we had say in the past. So anyway, so Jimmy Pardo, who hosts Never Not Funny, was in town to do a gig at Zany's and loved our show. And I was like, hey, do you want to come out and record with us? And and he said yes. So he yeah. takes like a 30-minute Uber ride to come out to Aaron's house. And like this guy in the podcast world is a big deal. Right, yeah. And, and like used to warm up crowds for Conan O'Brien. And he comes all the way out to Laverne, Tennessee into a backyard. I remember when he saw the the, the Adobe hut, as Cobras and Fire likes to uh. call it. He he walked. He, he's walking in, and he goes, "All right, uh, should I let family know if I, I if I've been murdered or kidnapped or something?" <laughs> like it looked like that. But I loved. He's just he's a diehard Kiss fan, and he but he's so knowledgeable. And I had heard him say this on the show, and I love busting his balls with this because I was like, "You're the type of Kiss fan I love because you love everything that you've you know bought from them, but you'll also make fun of them." Cause I remember like he was on another show and they were talking about smashes, thrashes and hits. And he's like, Oh God, that greatest hits album they put out in the late eighties that had like, let's put the X and sex on it. And all the drums sounded gar like garbage with all the, you know, new production tricks. Yeah. I hated that album. I own the picture dicks. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's, that's a kiss fan for you. Yeah. I I hate this album, but I own four versions of it. Right. Yeah. No, I still got that one just cause I don't know. For some reason it's one that survived with me all these years. It was fun to be a Kiss fan at that time, though. Yeah, because they were starting to kind of reintroduce the classic stuff. Like, for a while there, it was like Kiss was a completely different band. Like, Kiss from the 70s, that was other dudes, that wasn't us. We just also happened to be known as Kiss. Yeah. But then around this time, they start kind of playing around with, you know what, That that is part of our legacy. We have the right, as Kiss, to resell these songs to people who will buy them yeah looking back on it man i'm not a fan i mean he said it the drums sound bad oh yeah it's not produced well at all let's put the x and sex is i still say you make me rock hard is not a bad song it's not bad it's It's a cheesy song but it's not a bad song and i hate that they made eric carr sing beth yeah, I, I even back then I wasn't comfortable with that. I mean, I thought it was cool to hear Eric sing on a song. Yeah, but it didn't seem right. But I just wish it wouldn't have been Beth. I wish it would have been like a new Kiss song. Yeah. Like, let Eric Carr sing You Make Me Rock Hard. Yeah. Or at the very least, do Black Diamond. Put Black Diamond on there with Eric Carr singing on it. Not Beth. I agree. Pretty lame. I always feel so bad for Eric Carr. You know, you you get to be in Kiss, but we're doing The Elder. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're finally going to get a lead vocal track, Eric. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Yeah, it's Beth. <laughs> How lame. It's, yeah, I never thought about it that way, but that's true. Poor guy. Jeez, the best and the worst. Let's get away from that and go back 40 years to 1983. You got the first album from Alcatraz, basically a freaking super group. Yep. No Parole from Rock and Roll. It goes to 128, but I mean, geez, you got Graham Bonnet, who was in Rainbow. You got Ingve Malmsteen, who is at the time completely blowing people's minds with his guitar playing. He just came out of Steeler. 
Then you got the guys, the rhythm section from New England in the band. It's good stuff, man. It's really good. It's a great record. Yeah, if you're not familiar with Alcatraz No Parole from Rock and Roll, I would definitely recommend that because that's a band that's got all the pieces to really make it great. And that first album was really good. It didn't hit big in the United States, but it did okay. 128 back then. That's probably way more than 72,000 copies. Yeah. Let's see who else 40 years ago. Merciful Fate, their very first album, Melissa. Got the song Into the Coven. That was one of the filthy 15 for the occult mentions in it. Merciful Fate, of course, launches the career of King Diamond. And they go on to have a long, long career. Still around to this day. King Diamond and Merciful Fate get together. I think there's talk that in the near future, they might be getting back together again to work on something. They'll do well with it because there's definitely a cult following, pun intended. <laughs> an occult following. Or an occult following. That's good. <laughs> Personally, musically, always respected them, like the the guitar, great guitar riffs on all that stuff. Oh, yeah. But King Diamond's vocals, uh, that's an acquired taste. And yeah. I have not acquired it. No, it's it's tough. I'm only starting to kind of come around on King Diamond and Merciful Fate, but it's not it is his voice. It's it's tough to take sometimes. But musically, this stuff is killer. Yeah. Let's see another 40-year anniversary. So let's see what we did. Alcatraz, Merciful Fate. How about the Rolling Stones? Yeah, back in 1983, the album Undercover, their 17th studio album technically their first new music into the 80s and this was an album created out of great conflict where you got Mick Jagger and he's wanting to do like the new wave pop kind of stuff you know let's get on MTV let's you know dancing in the streets you know and and Keith Richards is going nah man come on Mick you know we gotta play some great rock you know just straight up rock music and so that's what you get with this album. It's a little bit of both. You know, you get some stuff that's pretty rocking and some stuff that, you know, is is kind of weird. <laughs> I like the Dancing in the Streets cover. I always have. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> oh, that's mean. <laughs> or what was the other one Mick Jagger did with David Bowie? That was the one. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> the video, not so much, because the video is like a little too close for comfort, but the song, I don't mind. And that's the thing. You know, that's what kind of like I've talked about how MTV in the early 80s would ruin bands for me. That's a perfect example right there, because I would see that video, the dancing in the streets, and it would make me like, oh, that's the guy from the Rolling Stones. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't think I like the Rolling Stones then. And for a long time... You know, and you know the classics, I, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, and Paint It Black, and the stuff you hear all the time. You go, oh, those are cool. But then when you're a young kid, and you're coming up in the 80s, and you go, man, that's some weird stuff. I don't think I like the Rolling Stones. And so that kind of got me away from them for a long time. It took me a lot of years to be able to go back around and go, okay, I'm a little older now. I'm going to give this old stuff another try and even, like you say, the, the album from 83, there's stuff that I could cherry pick off there that I like, and some stuff I just, man, this is awful. But you know who plays bass on the Dancing in the Streets cover, right? It's only redeeming factor, John Regan. That's right. Yep. But every time I watch the video, even back then, 
I'd see him and Bowie going back and forth, getting really close to each other. I'd just be like, why don't you guys just fucking get it over with? They say, we already did. <laughs> That's why we're celebrating. <laughs> That's why we're dancing <laughs> in the streets. Ugh. All right, one more for a 40-year anniversary. This is another one. This is a classic. This is one that... Yeah, it was all over MTV, but I still like this quite a bit. The second studio album from Billy Idol, Rebel Yell. That was big. I know you had to be into that when it was new, right? Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, the, mostly just the singles and the videos. I, I don't think I was really buying his records back then, but but I, I liked him a lot. I remember my cousin Rhonda had Rebel Yell, and we would listen to the album over at her house. I just remember thinking Rebel Yell was a cool title. Yeah, it is a cool title. And Eyes Without a Face, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a trippy song. Yeah, I like that one. I do too. Billy Idol, Rebel Yell, it's a big deal in 1983. It goes up to number six in the U.S. So then let's jump back 45 years for anniversaries happening from the year 1978, including the fourth and final full-length studio album from Stars, Coliseum Rock. Man, this band fought hard. But this was the end. And at this point, I mean, they they lost some guys in the band, you know. And so it was kind of not what it was before. Coliseum Rock, not their best album. I think, what was it, Brendan Harkin? Yeah, Brendan left, and I think Bobby Masano came in to replace him. Yeah, and I think they were, like, fighting over the direction of the band. But mm-hmm. I actually like Attention Shoppers, the album that came out right before this one. But yeah, it wasn't a big hit for them, so they probably thought, you know, we got to go back to the roots or figure out something else, or we're going to get dropped. And they did, you know, they did get dropped. And that's it's an une- uneven record, but I like it overall. And it's kind of a bummer about Stars because they really did have some great stuff, mm-hmm. but they just never got the shake back in the seventies. I mean. What they were on Casablanca too, right? Um, or they shared? Was it? They shared a coin management. Maybe that's yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. And then Angel, well, no, Stars was a Casablanca band, I believe. Well, I could be wrong. I don't know. I think one of them was a because Stars and Angel are like sister bands, right? But Angel was on Capital, so I think Stars may have been on Casablanca. Somebody will correct me in the comments. I'm sure. Yeah, they had a little bit of a push behind them, but for whatever reason, never took off. I go back, I listen to them albums now. I think there's some really great stuff on it. I don't know why. Why Stars never made it to that next level or had that big hit song. I don't know. They had some. They had single potential songs on all the records. It just sometimes it just doesn't work out. And if you don't, I think I mentioned it in the Beat the Geek question. Uh, Stars formed out of the ashes of Looking Glass. Yeah. That have one of the greatest yacht rock songs ever, Brandy or a Fine Girl. I love that song. I do too. I think it's a great song. Local H just did a cover of that like a year or two ago. Oh yeah? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. One more from forty five years ago. You probably know a little more about this one than I do. Wasn't considered one of their top albums. The reviews on it weren't so great at the time. It was their seventh studio album. From a band called Queen. It's jazz. I don't remember liking that one very much, to be honest with you. Well, the weird thing about this to me is, and I'm not that familiar with the album, but there's two songs on here I'm very familiar with. 
And the singles, well, the single was Bicycle Race. Yeah. And the B-side was Fat Bottom Girls, which clearly that got flipped around because Fat Bottom Girls becomes one of the most iconic Queen songs of them all. And Bicycle Race is one of the lamest songs I've ever heard. But it was a big hit. Yeah, I guess. I don't know how. I want to ride my bicycle. That's so weird. So weird. Have you seen the video for it? Uh, I'm guessing, fortunately, no. Actually, lots of naked women. Oh, I did see the picture because they said originally the album cover was supposed to be like this fold-around thing of all these naked women with bicycles. Yeah, the whole video is naked women riding on bicycles. Well, maybe I will have to check that out. <laughs> it's actually pretty fun. Um, it's on YouTube. And then, of course, Don't Stop Me Now was a big hit off of that. Yeah, I don't know that one. Don't Stop Me Now? Yeah, you know that song. I don't think It was so. a little bit more of a show tune type song, but it's, it's a great song. Yeah, Queen did too much of that show tune stuff. Did you watch Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie? Yes. It's the song they play at the very end where they show actually show Freddie and the band. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's Don't Stop Me Now. That was a big hit for him. But but it's got a bunch of other stuff on here that's really not good. Yeah. Um, at least for me, more of that jazz I don't like. If you can't beat them, fun it. Ugh. Um, Queen, they're just one of those bands. Where they're a playlist band. I, I put together a certain playlist of stuff I like. I don't listen to full albums. Yeah. I guess that's why, after all these years, we're still due for a best and worst of Queen. Heavier side of Queen. Yeah. And, and I get to pick the songs. <laughs> Just so I could try to, to convince you to be more of a Queen fan. Well, here's the thing. You know, I have been listening to Queen. Thunderfuck and the Deadly Romantics, he sent me a mixtape of cool Queen songs. Oh, yeah, Bruce. And he, yeah, Bruce sent that to me. And so that by listening to that in the car a few times, it inspired me to, you know, really start listening to some Queen albums and seeing what's on there that I like and what I don't like. And, most of it I don't, but yeah. the stuff that I do like is really awesome. Like, uh, oh man, well, like Ogre Battle. You know, yeah. nobody talks about Ogre Battle when they're talking about Queen. Everybody wants to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. Nobody talks about River of Size or whatever that is. Or you know, there's there's like their early kind of Dungeons and Dragonsy type stuff. That's pretty damn cool. But that Ogre Battle. I think that's my favorite Queen song. But, I mean, you like Stone Cold Crazy. Yeah, I do like Stone Cold Crazy. Is it, or uh, The Prince. But there's other ones. You know, there's yeah. there's a handful off of each album that I've listened to so far, because I haven't gotten through all of them. And I plan on doing this not just with Queen, but also with Queen's Reich. So, yeah. like I've told you, I think I've maybe one away from completing my Queen's Reich collection now. And I've been buying them, but haven't really been listening to them. But you like Operation Mindcrime, right? Some of it. I never liked Silent Lucidity. No, that's Empire. Okay, well, that's what ruined it for me. No, Mindcrime. Like, once I heard Silent Lucidity, I was like, I don't think I like this band. And I never really listened to too much after that. But even that, I mean, yes, it got drilled into our ears constantly on the radio and MTV when it was out. But if you could just objectively listen to that song, it's a fucking great song. It's it's them kind of doing a Pink Floyd thing, but it's it's a great fucking song. 
Maybe I need to listen to it again through that mindset. That sound that makes sense when you say it like that. Like because well, it kind of is like a Pink Floyd song. Yeah, it is. Like, it's them trying to do Pink Floyd, and it and it's the subject matter of it too is about lucid dreaming and like um, what do they call that? Where you leave your body, um, like astral projection, like projection, or uh, there's there's a word for it, but I can't remember it. But it's like where you leave your body as a spirit and then view other things. Right. That's the story behind the song about lucid dreaming. It it's pretty fascinating. It yes, but the thing is, MTV was we're gonna play fucking Rico Suave and here's Queensrÿche. So like you didn't really think about any of that. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was another syrupy love ballad from one of those bands. No, it's it's there's a little deeper than that. But like but Mind Crime itself has, you know, I I don't believe in love was I guess the biggest single off of that record, but That's a pretty good song and I like Jet City Woman. Well, that's off Empire. But Mind Crime you need to listen to from start to finish. Okay. It's a con- it's a concept record. You know, my most difficult Queensryche album to find was Promised Land. You can find that anywhere for a nickel. Yeah. Really? Um, it was Operation Mind Crime Two. Oh, that yeah. Don't even listen to that. It's got Dio on it. Great, but the album sucks. Hmm. Well, I'm going to at some point be going through them all and formulating my own opinion on Queensrÿche. And also Queen. And I've already started with Queen. So eventually one day we will get to do the best and worst of Queen. And we will also get to do a best and worst of Queensryche, which has uh, been something that we've promised forever. I look forward to both. Me too, I think. That'll be fun, if nothing else. Yeah. yeah I got to imagine with Queen, it's got to be pretty easy to pick the best and the worst off each album. Never know. Guess we'll find out someday. All right. So then let's jump back. 50 years. These are some big ones from 50 years ago. That means 1973. Talking about albums like Black Oak, Arkansas, High on the Hog, their fourth studio album. That's the one with Jim Dandy on it. That's the one that really breaks them big. Back then, Black Oak, Arkansas, big hit song like Jim Dandy. They probably sold way, way more than 72,000 albums. They only make it to number 52. Mm. Had to sell a lot of albums back in 1973 to get to the top of the charts. That one, yeah, it's known for Jim Dandy. But there's some other really great songs on that. So if you're into, like, old school southern rock, some of it's kind of heavy, some of it's kind of light. A lot of it's pretty cool. There's songs on there called Swimming in Quicksand. That's really good. And one of my favorite Black Oak, Arkansas songs, Happy Hooker. Hmm. which is another really good song I like a lot. The times I've dove into them, I've really enjoyed it. And Southern rock in general, I've gotten more into as I've gotten older. Yeah, me too. I've been kind of delving into some Molly Hatchet here lately. That's cool. But I always liked Black Oak, Arkansas. My dad had them records around when I was a little kid. You got to love it. Let's see. Also celebrating a 50-year anniversary this year. This is a pretty big one. It was their sixth full-length studio album. Pretty iconic band, I'd say. It's The Who, and they're back with Quadrophenia. Legendary. Yeah, this was kind of their attempt to follow up Tommy because Tommy was the big rock opera concept album. 
And then they think, I think it was Who's Next came out after that, which was just a regular album. And then they said, what if we tried to do like another Tommy? And Pete Townsend damn near killed himself trying to make this album, like drove himself insane with the idea of creating something like that that's not just an album, that's not just songs, it's a story and so intricate that when they release the album, they have to like send a book almost with it to explain what this album is, what it all means. And they do it. It's a success. They end up topping Tommy in album sales and on the charts. And at the time, it becomes the Who's highest charting album in their career up to that point when it reaches number two. Wow. So, yeah. I don't know so much about that one. That's another one I kind of got to go back and visit. I mean, I know the real me. Yeah, of course. But that's probably because Wasp covered it. <laughs> Although I think Wasp version was the first one I heard. <laughs> I know. I know it was the first one I heard. <laughs> I feel like such a poser saying that, but I was like 10. So you know. I don't know, man. It seems pretty cool. <laughs> kind of proud of that. Well, I mean, that was like the hit. Off the rec- the the one hit uh, everything else is a bit more it's it's that's another one you got to listen to as an album yeah yeah I think well that's definitely how it was created to be listened to yeah poor guy but he he did it you got to give it to him like you say I'm gonna climb this fucking mountain and they're like you ain't never gonna climb that mountain you know like yes I will and then you do it you know and you do it better than you ever did it before pretty cool right here's another one. This album probably don't get a whole lot of attention, a whole lot of love, but this is one I like a lot. 50-year anniversary for Rick Derringer's All-American Boy. This is a really great album. Probably known best for rock and roll Hoochie Coo. You know the one. It was on the Days and Confused soundtrack. I think that kind of, when that movie came out and that soundtrack came out and everybody had that soundtrack, that put that song like back on everybody's radar at that time. I think that's one of the best rock and roll songs ever. I agree, one hundred percent. The the riff is fucking contagious. It's it's just a fucking great rock and roll song. Yeah, it's one of the best. And Rick Derringer is one of my all time favorite guitar players and singers and songwriters and everything. I did a deep dive on him a while back because I found this CD and I was like, Rick Derringer. What do I know Rick Derringer from? Dun, 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 the Hulk Hogan theme song. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. You know, so yeah, this guy's got to be cool. He wrote Real American for Hulk Hogan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hulk Hogan's going to make Rick Derringer famous. So then then it's like, oh, yeah, rock and roll hoochie coo, you know, and that song's amazing. And then I listen to the rest of the album, and it's all deep cuts that I, songs I never heard before. But I really like this entire album. Like, the whole thing is really good. Well, and then also he had a band later just called Derringer that always had good good hard rock material, too. Yep. Um, but do you know where he got his, his big break? Uh, wasn't I know he was, he played with, like, uh, uh, Edgar Winter Group. I, he might have been part of that, but his earliest hit, was in the 60s with a band called the McCoys called Hang On Sloopy. Oh, yeah. That's that's Rick Derringer. That's a weird song. I remember being a little kid listening to like AM radio. My parents would be like, 
I was, it would make me think about like Snoopy the dog. Yep, that's I used to say the same thing to my parents. Is he singing about Snoopy? And they're like, No, Sloopy. Like, who's that? I have like, no idea. We don't know. Like, that's dumb. But yeah, that was his first real hit, and they were a band out of Ohio. And then, of course, for Kiss fans, he played the solo on Exciter. So that's just right. in order for Gene and Paul to piss off Finney Vincent. Yeah, and if you're going to do it, Rick Jeringer did a hell of a job on that song. And it's rare I say anything nice about Vinny, but I've heard Vinny's original demo take as a solo on that song, and it sounds just fine. I honestly think Paul and Gene were like, let's piss off Vinny with this. Yeah. Because it, it sounds like a typical Vinny guitar solo, although I do love what Rick did on the song. Yeah, me too. That's one of yeah. my favorite solos on that album. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do one more. I'm telling you, check out Rick Derringer. You're going to love it. One more from 50 years ago. The debut album from Susie Quattro. What do you know about Susie Quattro? Not enough. I have a lot of friends that love her, but honestly, I've never really dug in and listened to her stuff. Now, I do know that she was on Happy Days. Yeah. She played, I don't remember the name of the Leather character. Tuscadero. Leather Tuscadero. Of course her, it is. And her sister dated Fonzie, who was Pinky Tuscadero. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I know more about her role in Happy Days than I do her music, sadly. Well, I think she was able to use that to kind of launch her musical career. The stuff that I've heard, and I haven't heard a lot, but I found an album on CD not too long ago with some Susie Quattro on it, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So well, I'm going to be checking out more of that, I think. And her brother, Mike Quattro, was a solo artist that was kind of big in Canada in the mid-'70s. And some of Kiss's earliest tour, on the Kiss's first tour, they opened several dates for Mike Quattro, her brother. Oh, wow. Yep. Had no idea. Beat the Geek Kiss question that just got eliminated. Man, I hate when we do that. I got to start doing, I, I got to start doing it the other way and make you the geek so I can come up with these questions. Yeah, it's fun and a challenge at the same time. You won't have to, well, you'll have to take it easy on me like I did Dawn of the Rising last time. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. Let us know in the show notes. Do you get down with Susie Quattro? What do you think of that? Any of these bands we're talking about. Let's do one more. And that means going way back 55 years ago to 1968. The second album, aptly titled The Second, from Steppenwolf. It's good stuff. This is the one with Magic Carpet Ride on it. And talk about all-time great rock songs. You got to put that one up there. You know, John Kay from Steppenwolf used to live like 10 minutes away from me. Really? Yeah, back when I was in high school. Wow, I love John Kay. Yep, he lived in, uh, I lived in Kingston Springs. He lived in Pegram. And uh, I used to see his house, and I never got to run into him. But obviously, I was still playing in bands and in high school, but... Um, didn't have a podcast that I could interview him on, but my dad used to brag about that. He's like, that's John Kay's house from Steppenwolf. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Is he still living around here in Tennessee? Yeah, he lived in Pegram. And John Kay lived in Pegram, and also 10 minutes the other way from me, Steve Winwood lived. Wow, that's weird. And my dad used to brag about that. He's like, that's the guy from the Spencer Davis group, because that's, you know, give me some loving. Right, yeah. Yeah. And Steve Winwood was, if you, if you ever heard, give me some loving, he recorded that vocal when he was 15 years old. Wow. Yep. I had no idea. 
So there you go. Those are your album anniversaries for this time around. Those are the ones you want to be thinking about. You're going to be noticing people posting about them on Facebook and stuff. Let us know what you think about those. You love smashes, thrashes, and hits. You love the merciful fate. Oh, I missed one. Did you? Yeah, 45-year anniversary to the very first album from White Snake. Officially first album from White Snake. It's called Trouble. Man, talk about guitar duos. Mickey Moody and Bernie Marsden. And Bernie passed away recently, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, like a month or so ago. But that early White Snake is something else, too. Like, if you... When I was young, I wasn't really into White Snake that much because they just seemed kind of, I don't know, a little poppy, I guess, from what I was into. And like people with older kids, like into White Snake, ah, you know, do I think of the ruffled shirts and shit? One of the first cassette tapes I bought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then I went back and like visited some of that early White Snake stuff. Man, it's so good. So good. That first album is really great, too. I mean, he had an album. It was uh, David Coverdale, White Snake, two different words. And that's, I guess, where that comes from. That would have been the album that came out right before this. And he had a couple other solo albums in between Deep Purple and White Snake. But in 1978, 45 years ago, right around this time, the very first White Snake album. So it's kind of celebrating the, the anniversary of White Snake. The anniversary of Susie Quattro, the anniversary of Rick Derringer, all making their debuts. And so there you have it. Those are a bunch you should check out and try to remember this week and celebrate the anniversaries of. Now, I was going to say, all right, who died? Well, Steve Riley died. Yeah, that's true. That sucks. I hate to have to add people to the list, but that's the way it goes sometimes. So, yeah, Steve Riley will be added to this list, and we will remember him every year around this time. So last time we did this, we talked about Gidget Gein, one of the founding members of the Marilyn Manson band that had passed away at a very young age. This time, we're kicking off Rockstar Death Days with another one of them spooky kids, Daisy Berkowitz. I forgot he died, too. Yep, passed away back in 2017 on the 22nd at the age of 49. Daisy Berkowitz was the guy who helped Marilyn Manson kind of create the whole concept for what Marilyn Manson would become. Like They were normal people, and they said, come up with something like Alice Cooper on crack, you know, something way out there, like a something like that for this modern time, you know, and that's... The whole Marilyn Manson concept was created that way. You want to talk about a bummer and bad, bad timing. Daisy Berkowitz played on the album Antichrist Superstar, Mm -hmm. but quit the band either right before it was released or right at the same time it was being released and it didn't take off just yet. So like he walked right up to the door of success, put his hand on the doorknob, but never turned and pulled. He was that close. Can you imagine? It's like being the Pete best of the band. Yeah, you know, like, no, I'm going home. I'm. This is not going nowhere. I'm out of here. And then five minutes later, Beautiful People's getting played on every radio station in America. So what year would that have been that he left? I guess would have been, what, was that 94? 
that that came out? Yeah, so he was gone when I saw I saw them open for Nine Inch Nails at Vanderbilt's basketball gym. That would have been that, w- that was after Antichrist Superstar came out. I think so. They were still an opening act though, because it didn't hit right away. Yeah. So it must have took a little time, and I bet you in that time, like, okay, well, the new album's out. It's not really doing great. Fuck all this. I'm going home to Florida or wherever. And then kind of like Guns N' Roses, you know, Appetite for Destruction comes out. It isn't an instant hit. It takes like a half a year before somebody picks up on it and goes, oh, shit, this is the big thing now. Kind of the same thing with Marilyn Manson. This guy walked before right before it all exploded and became made Marilyn Manson a megastar. It's funny. You don't really hear much about Manson. Well, I guess you hear about him on TMZ, but right. um, musically you don't hear anything about him and even in conversation much anymore. But man, he was the biggest thing on the planet for a little while. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, let's see. Days Berkowitz passed away in 2017 at the age of 49, colon cancer. That's too fucking young. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. Probably from a broken heart, too, of having to wake up every day and go, if I'd have just waited another month. <laughs> Here's another one you got to remember. Passed away back in 1991. Legendary concert promoter. Probably one of the most legendary concert promoters of all time. The one and only Bill Graham. Yep. Killed in 1991 in a helicopter crash at the age of 60. It was the same one that took Stevie Ray Vaughan. No. It wasn't? No. No, this was completely separate. He, This was in California. Stevie Ray Vaughan was leaving Wisconsin. Okay. He had gone to... Because he was still working. He was... He, but he... He booked the concert that Stevie Ray Vaughan died at, I think. That I'm not sure of. Well, I read his autobiography because I wrote a college paper on him. Yeah. So there's something in the book about Stevie Ray Vaughan's final concert. So, okay, so it was a separate thing. I'm going to have to give you an F on your paper. Oh, yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, he went to... uh, he Because he was still working. He was still the legendary concert promoter. So he was talking about putting on... It was a benefit show for something. I don't remember what it was, like a famine or something going on. And he was going to put on this this big concert. And so he flew in his private helicopter to, I think, Los Angeles, somewhere in California, mm-hmm. to see Huey Lewis in the news. Okay. And really, he got there to talk to them about being a part of this other show he was putting together. And they committed to doing it. And he was like, great. Hops in his helicopter goes to take off they say the weather was terrible he ended up crashing into like a big old like like a power pole i guess mm. and it killed him and killed i think everybody that was in there well i can his um his autobiography is or biography is well worth your time but yeah his whole history is amazing yeah because i mean when you talk about like especially california san francisco some of the biggest shows of the seventies had his name attached to it. Yeah. And if you still go to say one of the two, the Fillmore or Winterland, one of the two is still open. I can't remember which, 
but like I think it's the Fillmore. But like his his tradition was he always had a bushel of apples for free for every concert attendee at the Fillmore, and just it was just a, it's kind of a, an eccentric thing. But he would do stuff like that. But also, wait a minute. So like if you bought a ticket to a show to go see a band you liked, you'd also get an apple. Yeah, you get an apple on the way in. Wow. It, it it was like you know it was the hippie times like the sixties and you know with Grateful Dead and all these other and Santana and Journey, all those Bay Area bands have all have a giant debt of gratitude to Bill Graham because the film he had the Fillmore West and he had Winterland to also. Um, now as Kiss fans, Kiss fans don't like him because he hated Kiss. He booked them because they were money makers, but. He couldn't stand the whole gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, if you read his biography also, he was like one of the most hard-ass promoters you could have. Like, he was not afraid of anybody. I suppose you kind of had to be that way back then because otherwise people walk all over you. Yeah. And the book is filled with stories about him. Like, people going, don't you know who I am? And he's like, I don't give a fuck who you are. Yeah. I'm Bill Graham. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I put on this whole thing. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. All right, so then let's go to... Here's another one. This one's close to my heart because I love this drummer. I've seen him live with the band Enough's Enough a bunch of times. Passed away back in 2007 at the age of 44 after a long battle with cancer. Awesome drummer, Ricky Parent. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about that guy. Yeah, started out in War and Peace with Jeff Pilsen. From there, he went to Enough's Enough and played on six albums through them. Some of their awesome stuff in the 90s that's kind of flown under the radar. Ricky Parent was an amazing drummer, you know, and he was really good for that band because he kept them heavy. You know, he could do the light stuff, but he also did a lot to keep Enough's Enough heavy. And I will always appreciate Ricky Parent for that because their heavy stuff is always my favorite. Um, like I said, he was knocked down for quite a while fighting it, but it finally got him in 2007. He's enshrined in Totawa, New Jersey. If you're in that area and you want to pay your respects, you can hunt down the uh, mausoleum that's got Ricky Perrin in it. Hmm. Leave, leave some flowers and a couple of drumsticks or something. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that's a bummer. I was pretty sad when I heard that news back then. That was my dude. Um, let's see. You want to remember on the 29th? Man, talk about young. This one's real young. Dwayne Allman. You know, the Allman brothers, of course. That was a sad one. He, it, was he? Was it him or Greg that dated Cher in the 70s? I think it was Dwayne, wasn't it? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think, I don't know. Which or no, one. it was Greg. Yeah, it must have been Greg. Because yeah, when Dwayne, I was reading on it, I didn't see nothing about Cher. But Dwayne was a big part of that Derek and the Dominoes project with Layla and yeah, obviously all the Almond Brothers stuff. Um, incredible musician. Yeah, hell of a guitar player. Somebody, I guess, maybe because he wasn't around that long. But if you listen to them Almond Brothers band albums, some of that stuff, like I don't know, I didn't think I liked the Almond Brothers, but like you said, kind of fallen into fall re-falling in love with Leonard Skinner, I think, and then wanting to know more about Southern rock. And then 
you know, advancing out from there. And logically, it takes you to the Allman Brothers band, which I didn't think I liked them, probably because I heard just heard Tied to the Whip and Pole too many times. But once you dive in on some of them albums, man, there is some outstanding guitar playing on that stuff. Oh, sure. Taken way, way too young at the age of 24 in a bad motorcycle crash in Macon, Georgia. Yeah, awesome band. Um, got their start out of Georgia and Florida, and my mother saw them when she was first married on the beach at a little bar, and they were called the Almond Joys. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Before they were anything. But yeah, that's like that was like one of the cool celebrity things she had, but at the time they were nobodies, but she still remembered that. That's pretty cool. Here's another guitar player. This is another one kind of personal to me because I love this band and I love what this guy did with the band. Corey Smoot, maybe known better as the final and longest reigning member of Guar under the character Flatus Maximus. He was the Guar guitarist for many years, held that role, and... He just he passed away on the bus somewhere between Minnesota and North Dakota. They figured he had some kind of heart issue that was untreated, didn't know about it, had a clot, and it killed him. Mm. But he was, like I said, he was that the Flattest Maximus character had been in the band longer than he had, and other people had played it, but he was he was that character the longest. And when he passed away, Dave Brocky, Odorous Urungus, retired that character. So Flatus Maximus died with Corey Smoot. And then, of course, it'd only be a couple years later after that that we'd lose Dave Brocky, too. That was tough times for Guar, but they're still around today, still doing it. Always in tribute to Corey Smoot and to Dave Brocky everywhere they go. So you got to love that. And he passed away back in uh, 2011, like I said, on the bus, doing what he loved, rocking. And then I got one more. It's a wild one, too, man. This is the youngest of the bunch. You thought 24 was young. Man, this guy was just, he was just at, like, the precipice of maybe doing something big. Like, who knows where this guy would have ended up. He was a founding member, and the drummer from the New York Dolls. New York Dolls get together. They got this drummer, Billy Boy, Billy Mercia. Oh, that's a, that's a really sad story. Yeah, it's messed up. He was, this was before the first New York Dolls album even comes out. So they're just kind of playing around New York and they get the opportunity to go play in London. So they go, the first album's not even out yet. This guy's in London doing heroin. He overdoses. And so to try to revive him, whoever he's partying with gets the bright idea like, oh, he needs some caffeine. Let's force him to drink coffee. Yep. And so they take this poor guy who's overdosed on heroin and they basically drown him in coffee. In a bathtub. They turned on ice cold water. It was a couple of groupies. They turn ice cold water on. I'm thinking that would revive him. That doesn't work. So they pour a bunch of hot coffee down his throat and choke him to death. Insane. Yeah, it's an awful story. 21 years old. 
Never even had a chance. Drugs are bad. Yeah. And then they hired Jerry Nolan, another person who took himself out with heroin. Yeah? Yeah. Peter Chris's best friend. That's right. Yeah, that's a wild one right there. 21 years old, that's crazy. You know, you look at, you know, some of these other guys that lived long lives. Actually, the whole list, other than Bill Graham, I mean, even 60 is pretty young for passing away. And sure. That was in a helicopter crash. But, man, everybody on the list this week, outside of Bill Graham, under the age of 49. Live fast, die young. That's a bummer. Corey Smoot, he was only 34. Golly. Yeah, well, you know what they say. We're never promised tomorrow. You never know what's going to happen. Don't do heroin in London in the bathtub with coffee and groupies. It's a bad <laughs> idea. Don't do it. Yeah, he, did, he didn't even get to see their even their early success that they had. No, because the first album hadn't even been released yet. I know. Like, even the little bit of success they got, like, he could have parlayed that into a full, lifelong career. Like, the New, New York Dolls didn't last forever, but he could have gone on to do other stuff, and who knows? He could have been, like, one of the most revered drummers of all time at this point, but he couldn't make it past 21. That's right. It's a bummer, man. I don't like that. So, those are your rock star death days. Those are the people to remember this time around. Pull out some of that music, crank it up. Raise a beer, whatever you want to do. Pay tribute to the fallen. Young guys, man, had their whole futures ahead of them. Shit goes wrong. So let's have something with some optimism. Yeah, a look to the future. The future of rock and roll. I've got it all laid out right here for you. i got a bunch of new albums coming out. Some of them just came out. Some of them very shortly coming out and then some for next week you want to look forward to let's start out with the right now like this stuff just recently came out we mentioned it earlier let's talk about it now the 12th full-length studio album from Dokken. it's entitled heaven comes down it's on silver lining records and i went and picked it up on release day i got the cd been listening to it i like it i do too i was I like the first two singles they released, and I listened to a little over half of it today. And um, it sounds like a straight-ahead, good, solid docking album. A little bit of studio magic going on, but um, I also listened to the new Lynch Mob album, and I think this is way better than that. Yeah. See, and, you know, as far as studio magic goes, I don't care about that. That doesn't bother me at all. That's what the studio is for. When you sure. re- when you release a studio album, you're supposed to use all the tools at your disposal to create the best representation of your art as you can. When you're all playing live concerts in front of live audiences and you're cheating, that's not cool. But I don't consider it cheating when Don Dockin goes into the studio. You know, I'm sure he rests his voice. He worked damn hard. I'm I'm sure he worked his ass off doing this album because he sounds good. You know, there's no doubt that it's Don Dockin. Did he get help? Yeah, watch some of that concert footage from recent, and you'll know <laughs> that he did. But you know what? Don's been through some shit in these last few years. Oh, he's been through a lot. You know, so if he's a little banged up and not sounding as good as he did when he was 24, I'll give him a pass. And also... I'd rather hear him out there giving it his best shot as best as he can 
than cheating and relying on tapes. Is this the first one since Broken Bones came out? 11 years ago, yep. And I think this is a lot better than that one was. I think so, too. And I haven't listened to it too many times. I've listened to it a few, and I'm digging it. I think it's pretty good. That Mm -hmm. Silver Linings record label, I guess, it's owned by one of the Vakken Open Air Festival founders. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so... And the, I was doing a little reading on it. They had Kevin Shirley produced it. So the sound quality is really good on it. At the first attempt at the production, he brought it back to Don. And Don said, I don't like this. It sounds like the 80s. And Kevin Shirley said, I think this is what everybody wants. You know, this is what everybody's <laughs> going for. Isn't that what you're going for? And he said, no, I don't like that. You know, I, I like the, the harmony and the background vocals and all that. But the rest of this is just too slick. I don't like it. For inspiration, he said that listening to the production of the last Iron Maiden album hmm. is is what he was aiming for on this. So he wanted more something like that. Something that sounded modern, but still classic at the same time. Honestly, that might be my one gripe with it. <laughs> it does have a little bit of a modern sheen to it, which Kevin Shirley, and if he wanted it to sound like a, a later era Maiden record, then... That makes sense. Right. Yeah, you know, I don't know that I love it, but there's plenty of people that do. Right. And production, you know, like you said, the his when you listen to Dokken back in the day, is like Don's voice was the highest. You know, that was the main thing. You know, he mm-hmm. his voice stood out from everything else. In this, he's buried back into the music a little bit more, but understandably so. That helps it, honestly. Yeah, so I think it's great. If you like Dokken, there's nothing on here not to like. It's it's truly a good Dokken album. Is it and is it under lock and key? Is it you know classic era? Well, no, but it's 2023, and if you like the band, I think you're gonna dig the new album. And John Levin, you know, there's no George Lynch, but John Levin does some really great guitar playing on this. So even if you like the Lynchier stuff, I think you'll like this. And the drums. I really, yeah. that that jumped out at Who me too. Who is playing drums on this? I uh, don't even know. Isn't it uh, Dude's brother? Uh, oh, is it Mick Brown's brother? Yeah, Mick Brown's brother, I think. And he's playing a te- uh, Tesla. Well, then maybe not. Let me look. Hang on. I got the, I just pulled the CD right out here. Don Dockin on vocals. John Levin on guitar. Chris McCarville on bass and BJ Zampa on drums. Oh, okay. BJ Zampa. Oh, a good drummer too. So yeah, there you go. The new docking, you know, it's the CD. If you get the, I don't know. Some people are into LPs nowadays. I still like the CDs. It's uh like the cardboard digipack, I guess, mm-hmm. but the artwork is cool. I like the artwork on the cover. It's, it's not like a cheap, version of like the cardboard case you would get it's actually pretty nice the docking logo like reflects while the rest of it's kind of like uh what do you call like semi-gloss and then the docking logo is glossy so it like it looks like it's made out of metal when you move it it's pretty cool. cool and it comes with a great booklet you know it's got all the lyrics got lots of pictures of the band in here i think that's pretty awesome that they took the time for the CD to actually, you know, because you know how they do nowadays. You order a CD and it comes in, you know, it's just it's just the disc inside of just a cardboard sleeve. And that sucks. This is the real thing right here. So 
Kudos Stockin' for that, for giving a good product and a good album. I dig it. Another one just came out on the 27th. Doro is back. This one's called Conqueress, Forever Strong and Proud. And it's out on Nuclear Blast Records right now. This is her 14th solo studio album. I was checking out the song Children of the Dawn. She's got a video for it. You know, Doro is just Doro. It doesn't matter, like, how long we're here or how long she's been around. Like, she sounds the same on this as she did when she was in Warlock. Yeah. Like, Doro just doesn't age and she doesn't change. Did you see the video that she released with Rob Halford today? Was did that? Is it Living After Midnight? No, it's the opposite of that. It's no? uh, them duetting on uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Is that cool? I liked it. Yeah? I don't know if you will. I don't know if you like the song to start with, but I liked it. I mean, it's got to be cooler with them doing it, right? They got a little guitar in there? Oh, yeah. It's it's heavied up. Okay. All right. She, she sounds okay on it, but uh, Rob sounds great on it. Yeah. Well, on this album, she does a cover of Living After Midnight with Rob Helford backing her up on vocals. They probably did that the same day, I'm assuming. I'm guessing so. Yeah, they worked on that at the same time. The band is awesome. They sound amazing. The production's good from what I've heard. Yeah, I would recommend this. She followed us on Instagram. Then I double recommend it. There you go. Heck yeah. Thanks, Doro. Nice. Uh, Let's see. Here's one we don't normally talk about, and when we do, it's usually somebody giving me a hard time. Did you know that Duran Duran has a new album out? I, of course I didn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And of course you did. Yeah. The 16th full-leg studio album. It's called Dance Macabre. Got two words for you. Three. Andy freaking Taylor. It's called Dance Macabre. Uh-huh. It, like the ghost song? Well, yeah, because it's, it's supposed to be like a, it's a dark album. Okay. But they got Andy Taylor back, the old classic guitar player. How's it sound? From what I've heard, I mean, it's it's Duran Duran. It's an acquired thing for sure, but I haven't really... I'm going to order it. I want to listen to the whole thing. I was on the fence about <laughs> it, but then once I realized Andy Taylor was back, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to get it. It's That's too cool. I get all this Juice Newton hate, and everybody brings that shit up. But Aaron's a Duran Duran devotee, <laughs> and not a damn thing ever gets said. Uh, people probably like Duran Duran. It's one of them people just keep it a secret. Who knows? Uh, Here's another one. We talk about bands on the up, you know, bands that are trying to fight to survive. There's bands out there that are doing it right now. This one is a band actually from here in Nashville. They're called Howling Giant. I know, Chris, you're familiar with this band. That's um, Peter Baltus' kid's band. Yeah, they're pretty cool, man. This is their third full-length studio album. It's called Glass Future. It's on Magnetic Eye Records. And if you don't, if you are into... It's stoner metal. Yeah, but there's more to it than that. It's almost like it's almost like progressive stoner metal. Because, it does have that element, too. Because when I'm listening to this song, and the new song, it's the, the title track, Glass Future, I'm checking it out, and there is some definite rush feelings i'm getting from it 
but then it's still got kind of that fuzzy guitar like you would expect from you know quote unquote stoner metal or doom doom rock or whatever you want to call it but there's something more to it than that it's a little bit deeper this is a band they've been around for a while now not the you know they're not it's a he said 72,000 albums will make you the number three album of the year. Music's not selling like it used to. Like, if this if this band was around, say, you know, whatever, how many years ago, and we're celebrating their anniversary from the 90s or something, I think this band would have been something. Like, they could have made some money. Nowadays, it's a little bit tougher to make money in the music industry. Here you got this quality band this is their third studio album, so they, they're doing something. You know, they're hanging on. So I'm telling you, check out the band Howling Giant, especially if you're kind of into prog rock stuff. Or you like, you know, doom rock. I mean, they're kind of hard to pin down, to be honest with you. Yeah. So go check out the song Glass Future just with an open mind. Listen to it. You might dig it. It's a new album. Be buying something new from a new band that really needs it. I mean, yeah, sure, Motley Crue and BMG are coming out with the Shout at the Devil 40th Anniversary Deluxe Edition with extra tracks on it that have been released on different albums throughout the years, so there's really nothing new on it. You could give BMG your money, but why do you want to do that? Support an up-and-coming band like Howling Giant. They deserve it. They're a great band. They got new music out right now. It's called Glass Future. I recommend it. Oh, yeah, and that Motley Crue thing's coming out, too. <laughs> Yippee. I mean, shit, they talk it like, oh, bonus tracks, never heard before. Bullshit. Those songs were on Sonic, Demonic, whatever. It was on Red, White, and Crew. It was on Greatest Hits. Like, these songs that they're like, oh, wow, the hotter-than-hell version of Louder-than-hell. That's been That's, out for They've released that, like, three times. I know, and now they're, well... <laughs> Four now. Oh, Jesus. If you need it for your collection or you need some cool splatter looking vinyl, yeah. you got it with that. But here's another one on the same day released by Geffen. It's the 30th anniversary of In Utero by Nirvana. Yeah, they did a big um, interview with Conan O'Brien this week. It's actually pretty interesting, but. Yeah, I, I was never a big fan of that record. I like some stuff on it, but I probably will not be buying that one. No, well, it's 53 tracks, a lot of unreleased live stuff. So if you're mm-hmm. a big Nirvana fan, you probably want to get in on that. Um, the wife asked me about it for her dad. I said, let me look. At Walmart.com, it was like 180-some bucks. Damn. But it comes with a lot of cool stuff. So if you're a huge Nirvana fan... You want to hear some of those live tracks that have never been released before and they sound good because they're on that sweet vinyl. There you go. In utero, 30th anniversary. Uh, Speaking of live albums, Venom. If you like it heavy, you got to love Venom. Live from the Hammersmith on Dissonance Records. It's a re-release of a classic 1985 metal concert. You want to bang your head? You can't do it no better than with Venom. Here's something totally different. Also on the 27th, this came out, Robin Schrauer. I haven't really thought about Robin Schrauer. I know the song Day of the Eagle. This guy was a legendary rock guitarist. He's got a new album out. It's called Joyful Sky. It's on Provogue Records. It's his 27th full-length studio album. This guy is 78 years old, and he's still rocking. I got in a conversation one day 
with a guy about great guitar players. And, you know, while I'm talking about like Ace Fraley and Randy Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen, he's like, number one, Robin Trower. And I was like, Robin Trower, what's that? And he said, Day of the Eagle. And I was like, oh, yeah, that guy's awesome. And so then I kind of like, man, maybe I ought to be checking out more Robin Trower band. And so I have been. And, you know, yeah, his most famous songs are like his instrumentals. Yeah. But he's got songs with a band where there's a singer and everything. And that stuff's pretty good, too. I didn't know nothing about Robin Trower. Today, I can say I'm a fan. I mean, not bad. Like I said, 78 years old, still rocking. I Incredible player. I, uh, I think I actually own one or two records, but I don't know. It's, it, that, I got to be in the mood for his stuff. He's a little bit more experimental. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, I picked up a Alan Holdsworth album. That now, if you're into guitar tone, there's no, pretty much nobody better ever than him. But very experimental too. Yeah, I thought I saw it, and it was like priced pretty damn cheap. And I was like, where do I know that name from? Oh yeah, that's the guy that Eddie Van Halen always talked about. It was Eddie Van Halen's favorite guitar player. Yeah, so I was like, I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. Uh, let's see. So then, let's look coming up in just a few days. You've got new music from another young band. It's their fourth studio album, follow up to 2021's Dear Monsters. The band is Bad Wolves. Their new album's called Die About It, and it's on Better Noise Records. Man, I wonder, I listen to this and I think, Josh Toomey must love this band. I know we've mentioned him a few times here today, but this is like new, new metal. I think he's buddies with one of the guys in the band, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I could mean, be wrong. Josh will correct me. Because sure. I think anybody but, that, like, in the early 2000s, if you were into stuff, if you were into, like, Disturbed, if you were into Corn and Limp Biscuit and bands like that, then... Bad Wolves would be right up your alley. Mm-hmm. I remember the last album, I think we played something from them once before. So maybe they they change, you know, maybe they're different on different songs and stuff. Because I think the thing we played was more straight up rock. But the new song that I was listening to, I think it's the title track off of Die About It, was very kind of hip hop, new metal, heavy, very heavy, a lot of raw kind of vocals. Still kind of cool, you know, not necessarily my favorite thing, but I still dug it. And again, there's a young band, fourth studio album, Bad Wolves, check them out. Here's a classic, Static X. They've got an album coming out on the third, Regeneration Project Volume 2. These are the final recordings of Wayne Static. Hmm. So they have unearthed these things and were able to, I guess, regenerate them into songs so if you love static x this is pretty important i would think you know wayne static died years ago but you know he was obviously a pretty proficient guy recorded a lot wrote a lot and so they've been able to find some of his stuff and get it together to be able to release it i think that's kind of cool yeah do you know who they have fronting them right now uh isn't it the dude from dope yeah edsel dope yeah, yeah. And um, they had a real shit show trying to do the show here in Murfreesboro la- a couple of weeks ago. Did you see that? Did it get canceled? Yeah, so it was them and Seven Dust and a couple other bands. And Wes, my friend from childhood and 
who used to play drums in my band was wanting to go. And like, it was like two days before the show and I texted him. I'm like, are you wanting to go to this? Cause well, I'll go with you. Cause it's like 10 minutes from my house Yeah, at a place called hop Springs brewery. And he was like, no, nah, I got called into work and I had enough going on in my life. I was like, ah, I'm not going to go. So thank God I didn't go because they had a line, like an hour long line of people trying to get in. The bands were there. Everybody was getting set up. And apparently the bands were like, all right, did you follow the rider? And the, and the rider not only includes obviously food and drink and stuff that the band wants, but it also includes demands as far as like security and things like that, that they need. Yeah. Well, part of what they asked for in the rider was um, security wands to check for metal objects for safety. Well, they didn't follow through on that. And so then the people from Hop Springs are like trying to rush down to the Walmart here and find and try to find security wands and they couldn't do it. So they had to fucking cancel the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's it crazy. Was a, it's a total clusterfuck. I mean, those are bands that, you know, they lived through the Dimebag Daryl incident. Exactly. They don't fuck around. But it's like, well, if you're a promoter and you have that in the rider, you have to expect that they're going to make you follow through on what they want. Right. Yeah. I mean, if they take the time to put it in the rider, they're going to take the time when they get there to check if you're actually doing it. It's like, why did y'all not have that handle? I, don't, I just do not. And I'm promote, I've promoted on a very small scale compared to this. But I'm like, if that's in there, you guys should have been ready for that. And go into Walmart to look for security wands. I don't think yeah. they sell that shit at Walmart. And then they like they went to other places too, like asking to borrow other people's, and they're like, no, yeah, because we where, need them. Like, where do you find something like that at last minute? It's not I like you no just idea. go like go to the security store and pick up whatever you need. Well, it was funny. Like it was the night after that that my daughter had to go to the ER. So me, we're in the ER outside in the waiting room, and you know they have uh, metal detectors and wands out there. And I'm thinking they probably should have come here to the hospital. <laughs> you distract them. I'll steal the wands. Yeah, Seven Dust must go live wow, tonight. That's crazy. To I wonder what that's like on the other side. Like you go, well, I mean, fuck, we're here. But I guess, I mean, they probably already got paid up front. Oh, people were mad as but hell. But then, yeah, you think about the other side of that. Like, damn, you know, we got a half a mile of people up the street wanting to get in this place that came to see us. I heard it was between 1,000 and 2,000 people waiting to get into that show. What do you do in that situation? I mean, do you say, fuck it, let's go, because there's people here that have paid and driven here to see us on what, like a Sunday night? They wanted to do that. The venue did, but the band's like, no, if you can't meet our demands and we're not playing. And they probably already got a deposit. Yeah. That's a tough one right there. Cause you want to say, fuck it, do it anyway. You know, I mean, yeah, I understand you put it in your rider and that's what you want. But when it comes right down to it, Maybe you say, all right, you know, because you didn't meet our demands, our requests, now you have to pay us this or we're not going up. Well, I don't think they even gave that as an option. Find a way to negotiate it. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, the people that are walking out of there, the angriest aren't the people that didn't follow directions on your rider. It's your own fans. 
Mm-hmm. But I respect it. You know, I understand why you would want that. I totally do. Well, and the the response I saw of all the fans, they were all on the band side. They were yeah. like, this venue should have taken care of what they needed to take care of. It's not y'all's fault. Right. No, that's cool, I guess, that they understand, but disappointed, I'm sure. But yeah, but they're like, a lot of them were from out of state. They set up hotel and everything. Hmm. That's lame because you don't get, you might get your ticket reimbursed, but you're not getting your hotel reimbursed. You're not, not getting, not gonna you're not getting that. your gas money back. You're not getting your time back. You're not, you know, you take time off work for that. That ain't getting replaced. That sucks. I think, yeah, was, I think as, a, as somebody, if I was in the band in that situation, I think I would have tried to figure out how can we make this work so that we can still provide our fans who went out of their way to come see us with something worthwhile to them. There's got to be a way. But I understand why you wouldn't want to do it. I mean, shit, yeah. look at look what we had to go through at Creatures Fest for Vinnie Vincent. <laughs> you had to go through, not me. Yeah, not you. You were smart. You stayed home. <laughs> All right, let's see what else we got here. Oh, this is cool. I know this is one a lot of people either are or should be excited about because on November 3rd, we get the follow-up to the 2021 self-titled debut album by Dirty Honey called Can't Find the Breaks. Like I said, out on the 3rd on Dirt Records. Man, everybody was pretty excited about the Dirty Honey album that came out a couple of years ago. I know it placed in our top 10 of the year. I don't remember. One of us picked it. I know we did. Mm-hmm. And then I'm listening to the new stuff. This is the band we always joke that sounds like Tora Tora Jr. Sound just like them. The song I heard off the new album, I don't know if he's heard us say this many times. It's like, fuck, man, I don't want to be like the, the Greta Van Fleet of Tora Tora. going to have to <laughs> work on changing my inflection a little bit because it didn't strike me as much on the song that I heard. Like, oh, okay. He still sounds amazing. The guy's a great singer. But he doesn't sound exactly like Anthony Corder from Tora Tora. Well, but even musically, all of it sounds like stuff that could have been Tora Tora songs. Yeah, you know, it is pretty damn awesome. <laughs> the song with uh, the video that I saw is called Won't Take Me uh, Won't Take Me Alive. And it's killer, man. It's really good. I like them. Yeah, I mean, I just I I'd love to see them tour with Tora Tora. It'd be cool. That would be pretty cool. Give the young kids that are a fan of this band a taste of, you know, how it used to be and how Mm -hmm. it now is again. And that's cool. I'm down with it. You know, any band that's got that spirit and style like Dirty Honey does, they're A-OK in my book. Another perfect example of a band that they're doing it the way we want them to do it. Like when you say, oh, there ain't nothing good coming out nowadays, but there is, you know, and you look at Dirty Honey, you look at that first album and say, man, this is amazing. You know, this could have been one of my favorite bands in 1988. You know, they could, this band fits that. So no reason why you shouldn't love them today. And a band today, like we said earlier, needs more love and support than ever. So do yourselves a favor Pick up this album by this amazing band who's young. This is only their second album. You want them to come out with a third one? You want them to come out with a fourth one? You want this band to team up with other bands and save rock and roll? 
The only way to do that is by supporting the artists. Buy that new Dirty Honey album. Can't find the breaks. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. You're doing something good and getting something great out of it. Got to love that. So I got another one for the third. We'll do a couple for the 10th because that'll round us out to about the next time we're going to do Geek Wire. But this is something that UFO fans have got to be pretty damn excited about. And you're going to hear this as we continue through the rest of the year. You're going to see a few releases like this. So on the third, the album Too Hot in Tokyo is coming out on Cleopatra Records. This is a 1994 concert by UFO. Pretty cool. I think Cleopatra somehow has gotten their hands on some live archives from the band UFO because there are several of these coming out before the end of the year. I think it's like bootlegs, but high quality. Hmm. So this one's from 1984. I think there's one coming up from 85, one from 80, and a few others. We're going to see these before the end of the year. So if you love UFO, it's pretty cool. You got some live albums coming your way, and a bunch of them before the end of the year. That's cool. Yeah, real cool. So then let's, like I said, we'll go up to the 10th. I only got three of them here, but this will round us out. With their ninth full-length studio album, this band's been around for a while. When they first came out, I was crazy about this band. Talking about the band Helmet. They're back. Ninth studio album, like I said. First new one in seven years. The album's called Left. And, you know, I don't know, man. I go back, I listen to Unsung, and that album was so good. So good. And I just don't think they ever topped it. No. I think, well, Betty was pretty great, too. Betty was okay. Right. And then after that, it's like every album they did took them further away from what I loved so much about them. And I'm telling you, I loved that album. Like, that year that that came out, I maybe listened to that more than anything else. Yeah, I I did, too. Because they were just so different than everyone else. Yeah, you know? but they still had like uh, had that Sabbath kind of flavor to them still. Yeah, that, but it was modern. But modern, like, heavy, faster. There was like the stars aligned for that album. And I feel bad for them because like the last album they came out with, I guess seven years ago, I was excited for it. And I listened and I was just like, man, I don't like this. Oh, I hated that record. The new song that I heard, they had a video, it's just them playing. I don't know, man. I don't know. I feel bad for them because mm, that album was so good, and I've never heard anything like that since from them. And I don't know why they can't match that, or they won't match it, or don't want to, or are unable to. I have no idea. But it might be something worth checking out if you love them. It's all Paige Hamilton, and like I think he kind of tried to jump on trends and shit as they went along, and I think that hurt him because like yeah. they had a really unique sound, and he kind of just ventured away from it as they went on. But another guy who moved to Nashville, a lot of people don't know about. Oh yeah, no, I didn't know yeah. that either. Well, hopefully he doesn't see us in the street and beat our asses for talking shit. Nah, he can get over it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this. Like I said, I've heard the one song, and it's just like. Yeah, here's another album that's not unsung. 
Oh, bummer. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe the rest of it's different. I have no idea. If you get it, you hear it, you love it, let us know. We'd love to hear it. Saw them open for corn in 1997. Yeah? Yeah, at a club in Louisville. Oh, wow. They were great. People were throwing shit at them, but they were great. Oh, damn. Oh, they just wanted <laughs> to see corn, huh? Yep. Was that the one with Limp Biscuit at it, too? Limp Biscuit was the opening band, and I got there too late to see them. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I got two more. These ones are kind of oddballs, both coming out on the 10th. Here it is, Chris, the moment you've been dreading. They finally did it. It's loaded. The world's shortest, greatest hits album of all time. Hmm. It's a single. It's Bush. (laughs) The one that took 30 years to make? Yeah, it's a long time to gather material. Like, you, this band could write a song a day for 30 years and still not come up with greatest hits. <laughs> I can't imagine. Oh, yeah, damn. Okay, well, shit. If you love Bush, I'm so sorry about that, but... <laughs> God, they suck. I hate them. No argument there. All right, and one more before we round this out. They're back with their 18th full-length studio album. It's called Sonic Mojo. They're releasing it themselves. They don't need a record label. Maybe nobody's really interested anymore. I don't know. It's Foghat, baby. I heard they had a new record coming out. I haven't checked anything out from it yet, though. I listened to one song. You know, it's... I don't know what you expect from Foghat in 2023. But it's a, is it Roger Earl and a bunch of other guys? I think so. Because Dave Peverett was the main songwriter, and he's been dead for a few years yeah, now. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess they're probably still going to try to stay true to the old Foghat sound, which is boogie-woogie blues rock, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you got to stay true to that if you're going to carry on the name Foghat. I know Foghat's got fans out there. I mean, because they had awesome albums back in the day. So I know that they've got fans that are still around. I'm just curious, like, and this ain't a dig at them or nothing. I'm I'm just curious. How many people are really excited about the new Foghat album? I mean, I know there's got to be some people, right? Well, there's there's Taylor Swift fans. And then right after that, is Foghat fans. Ah, I don't believe Not, that. <laughs> I've had alcohol today. That probably is influencing what I'm saying. Okay, so let's say this. Between those two albums coming out on the 10th, Bush, Greatest Hits, and Foghat, which one do you think is going to sell more copies? Probably Bush. Which one do you think is going to have more good songs on it? Definitely Foghat. Ding, ding. There you go. <laughs> and those are your upcoming albums coming around in this rotation. We'll pick up back on the 17th with the next edition of GeekWire. That's a nice, long, meaty Camaro segment for you. Lots of information, lots of things to remember, to celebrate, to revere, and to save money for. So there you have it. That's what you need to know from me. So let's get back to the news. Just a couple things left. Um this headline made me laugh. Phil Collin doesn't think that Def Leppard's story is interesting enough for a proper biopic and claims that it's been done. And yes, it has been done. 
and it was done with probably the worst VH1 produced film ever made. Oh, yeah. Did you see that one? A long, long time ago. Oh, man, is it the cringiest thing ever? It, that Even the Meatloaf movie had more integrity than the Def Leppard movie. Boy, it's been a long time since I've seen that. I ought to watch it's, that again. It's abs- No, you don't need to. No. It's terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, does it show them like underneath the stage with the girls and all that stuff? It's got like elements of all that, yeah. but it's just the acting and the, the writing. The, whoever wrote the script, it's like the cheesiest thing ever made. Yeah. And like you said, you know, it's been done. You know, Def Leppard's story probably isn't. I mean, yeah, it, they come from different places and everything. But like you think about biopic, you think Motley Crue, you know, that was a pretty good one, you know. Yeah. So then you think Def Leppard. Well, is Def Leppard's story too much different than Motley Crue's? Well, you know, take out the drugs, but they partied like maniacs. They drank, sure they you know, they they enjoyed all the the fruits that were available to a up and coming hard rock band in their time. And so I mean, I'm sure there's drama and then of course, you know, you got the accident with uh with a drummer losing his arm and all that, sure. but well, is it that different to warrant that or is it if this shit comes out now, we might get canceled. Well, yeah, maybe. And our fan base isn't Motley Crue's fan base. Like, Motley Crue's fan yeah. base, they don't care. Our fan base, well, they're grandmothers now. Well, I mean, Motley Crue's story is the way, I mean, they, they kind of wrote wrote the script themselves with the dirt. So right. there's enough cartoony, over-the-top shit that it works for Motley Crue. But Def Leppard, they were huge, but you didn't really want to know that much about their personal lives. So... um to me, a biopic, that should only be reserved for just a very few artists where you can have actors do their story and do it justice. But Def Leppard, I think, do like a two-hour documentary about their history. I'd be all in for that. Yeah. But I don't need to see people playing Pete Willis and Steve Clark. Right, because as members, like, does Def Leppard have the personality for that as Not really. band members? Like Motley Crue... Those guys had a ton of personality, eat all four of them individually. Yeah, they were all cartoon characters. Right. Def Leppard, I mean, you don't really get that with them. Like, you no. think, like, oh, the guy that's going to play Joe Elliott is going to be amazing, you know, because he's going to do this, he's going to do that. Is there really any of that? Not really. I don't think so. Not as exciting as a backstory. No, nah, biopics, we should just limit that to a handful of artists. Um, give me a documentary any day. I'll take that any day. Any day. Yeah. Um, speaking of Molly Crew, Eddie Trunk apparently on I think on Halloween Day is going to debut the first single from the long-awaited Mick Mars solo album. So I was confused about this when I saw it because I think we were told at one time like there was an album that was done. Yeah, that got thrown away. By, we were told by people that were involved. And then, like, is this a new album? Or? That's a good question. And I need to ask a couple of the people you're referring to, because I don't want to name names right now. Right, but, yeah, because I was talking to Ralph and Ian about that, and I told the story, like, I was like, I can't tell you who told us, but I was told that that first, whatever he recorded first, got 
thrown completely away. Like, erase it, thrown away, done. So if there's new stuff coming out, then that tells me that maybe he threw that away and said, I'm going to start over. I don't know if it's new songs, completely different from what was before. If this was pulled back out and redone, mm-hmm. I have no idea. But I was confused by that. Well, we know at least three people that were involved in the original project. So I I, I need to ask one of those three. And it's like, so what exactly are we getting with this? Because I, I don't know. Yeah, because John Karabi was supposed to sing on it. Yep. Yeah. And, but we had friends that were involved in the production and the writing of it. So it's like, I need to ask those people, like, is it your stuff that's coming out or is it something else? So I guess we'll also, yeah, when it, when it, this does get released, I mean, we'll see who's singing on it, who's playing on it. Yeah. Cause I guess that'll have to be announced at the same time. Like, here's the song. What do you know about it? Nothing. I'm just happy. Something's getting released. Yeah. And I'm happy to see Mick Mars able to, yeah, he can't tour very comfortably anymore, but there's no reason as an artist, he can't continue to create. Yeah. I don't see any reason why not. No, it's kind of exciting. Um, and to stay a little bit on the Motley Crue topic, um, Sharon Osbourne has come out and called Nikki Six an asshole. No. And claims that she doesn't believe the uh, Ozzy ant snorting story. What? That story is legendary. It's got to be true. You can't even make shit like that up. Pressed by Jack. So I guess so, so you know the Osbournes are now doing their own podcast and video show on YouTube. Well, that just knocked us down a notch in the ratings. Right. Well, yeah, we can't compete with that. But um, so it's Ozzy, Sharon, Jack, and Kelly. And um, Jack pressed her about if Ozzy did in fact snort the line of ants. She said, I say no. But Ozzy claimed otherwise. Yes, yes, I did. I was there. I did it. In my nostril, I was drunk and I did it. So Ozzy's right there telling her, no, I did do it. So who I, I it seems more likely that he did honestly right after i licked up my own piss yeah i got the vibe that ozzy viewed motley crew as the takers of his throne yeah at that time and he's like i just now got back on top and you fuckers aren't going to take it away from me anything you can do i can do better i'm ozzy exactly. freaking osborne i think he viewed it as a challenge it makes sure. total sense to me that that story would be true yeah yeah he felt threatened by him because he's the older guy and they're the new hot guys. And so he's like, I'll oh, fuck you. I'll, I'll, I'll be grosser than you can even think of being. Yeah. I'll outdo you on every turn. Yeah. And in the meantime, there's Rome is burning around him. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that that podcast with the Osbournes is more entertaining than their TV show was. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Ozzy's not doing well. Um, you know, he's, Pretty hard to understand on the show, but uh, let's just enjoy him while he's still around. Yeah, because, I mean, he was hard to understand back in the 80s. Oh, and I have, one em- I have one emergency story oh, yeah? that just came across our Facebook page. Okay, nice. What is it? Breaking news. Just late breaking news right here on GeekWire. Well, it's from Andy Connors, our old friend. Oh, nice. And he said that we have to talk about this on GeekWire. Okay. And it's a video of Todd Latore from Queensryche doing an unboxing video of his new foot lever levelers custom orthotics. What's that? Like uh, inserts that you put oh, in your shoes okay. for your feet. Yeah, yeah. 
all customized. Yeah, that's yeah. good for him, I guess. Yeah, Andy said, "I love Todd Reich, but endorsing orthotics doesn't remind of us remind us of how young they are." Oh yeah, well, not as spry as we used to be. We all need help. Hey, feet got to be comfortable, yeah. even if you're headbanging. Yeah, yeah. But that's all I got for this week. All right, well, then there you have it. Everything you needed to know about the world around you has been provided. What you do with this information is up to you. We hope you use it for good. And we hope you support new rock bands coming out with new albums and the classics and the legends as well. This is your opportunity to get in on the world around you with us, the Decibel Geek Podcast. And we love to bring it to you. Thank you guys for your patience these last week or so. And uh, yeah, we're back in the swing now, baby. We got some cool stuff coming your way. So stick with us. We are a Pantheon podcast. If you're looking for a new favorite music podcast besides us, I don't know if you can replace us, but you got time to listen to more than us, then the only place to go and find them is Pantheon. So do that. We're a proud part of that, and we're hopefully making them proud too. So until next time, this has been the Decibel Geek Podcast with GeekWire. Rock on, and we'll catch you later. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.